Welcome to Straight from the CPA's Mouth, your connection to the Heshi CPA Knowledge Center, Alberta CPAs, and business professionals. This podcast, presented by the CPA Education Foundation, features Alberta chartered professional accountants and others sharing their expertise and insights on a wide range of topics. Tune in regularly for eye-opening looks on leadership, business, education, and many issues of the day, straight from the CPA's mouth. Before we begin, in honor of the 94 calls to action put forth by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada, we'd like to acknowledge that CPA Education Foundation offices are situated on the traditional Treaty 6 and Treaty 7 territories. The Foundation acknowledges that we reside on traditional and ancestral territories of many Indigenous, First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples. Their histories and culture influence our community to this day. The CPA Education Foundation is committed to helping build a province where Indigenous peoples and their voices and experiences are heard, valued, respected, and celebrated. Welcome back to another episode of Straight from the CPA's Mouth. My name is Jessica DeGroot with the CPA Education Foundation, and I will be your host for this episode. In 2019, Alberta was home to over 160,000 small businesses. I think it's safe to say that if you aren't a small business owner yourself, you know somebody who is. But did you know that 50% of small businesses fail after five years? There are several factors that can contribute to a business failing. Lack of cash flow, low demand, or unforeseen circumstances such as a global pandemic. Today, we have Josh Spurl, CPACA, author of 100 Myths of Entrepreneurship versus Chainsaw, and founder of Spurl & Associates Chartered Professional Accountants with us to tell us more about the most common mistakes that small business owners make and what they can do to maximize their chances of business success. It's time to hear it straight from the CPA's mouth. Welcome to the podcast, Josh. How are you doing today? Doing great, Jessica. Thanks for having me here. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. So I guess we'll just get right into the conversation. I want to start off by chatting a little bit about your book. Um, So it's titled 100 Myths of Entrepreneurship versus Chainsaw. What inspired you to become an author? Well, you know, I started in public practice in uh, 2008, and I had kind of the you know interesting perspective where I started in public practice after I'd run a business. And you start to realize that, you know, what you think you, you know, what people teach about business isn't necessarily the case. I, I, I liken it to being like a, a, a firefighter where, you know, most people are taught to run out of the burning building and the firefighter has to be taught to run back into the burning building. So you know, most things that works in small businesses might seem a little bit uh, counterintuitive at times. And we realize that we, we start having the same conversations over and over again. And so, you know, what we really did is, is we actually just sat down with the team and we actually, you know, got them to all list out what their top, you know, conversations that they were having over and over again with clients. And, you know, just like CPAs, you know, we, we did it empirically. We had just put it on the board and what were the top 100 that came up over and over again. And we went through with our, you know, couple dozen team members and, and those were the 100 that ended up in the book. That's a lot of questions that an entrepreneur might have, right? And it's, if they're common amongst all of them, then clearly they're some, it's something that they're all struggling with. I do have to ask, what is the meaning behind the word chainsaw? The chainsaw, it's, it's, it's a little bit aggressive because, you know, sometimes we want to, you know, 
uh, tiptoe around the issue, right? And and earlier in my career, maybe I thought like that was the right thing to do, but then I realized like the velocity when things start to go wrong is bad. You know, we talk about, you know, the, the failure rate 50% in five years, but it's actually like 15% in year one, right? And 30% in year two and 50% by year five and 96% by year 10. Like, so wow. it accelerates really quickly, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, having those difficult conversations, it's just like, it's not like, you know, do you think it's okay? It's like, we got to cause a little friction right now, or that person might not even make it to their first year end meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like you can kind of chug along to a certain point and then year after year, I mean, you can only do it so long if things are starting to go sideways. So of the 100 myths, what would you say is the most common mistake that you see small business owners make? Well, they all boil down to three common mistakes, right? You, you touched on them, some of them in your intro. And, and so it's it's really comes down to customers, cash flow, and team, right? And so, you know, we, we tend to, you know, focus on a lot of other things that could happen. You know, you could get you know, some sort of crazy illness or hit by a bus or something like that. But they're, those issues are kind of like statistical white noise, right? And it really just comes down to customers, cash flow, and team. And so when you study these businesses that are actually going to fail, uh, 42% of them, you know, 96% of them are going to fail within 10 years, right? And 42% of them that fail, fail because they can't find enough customers. 29% are going to run out of cash and 23% can't find the right team, right? And so they all really boil down to those three issues. You know, there's different subsets in each of those three, but those are the three primary issues. And if you figure out how to solve those three primary issues, really, you know, you reduce the risk of running a small business where it, it actually becomes less risky than, a, a, you know, a government unionized pension job, right? Because you can always get laid off from one job, right? But you're not going to get fired from, you know, a thousand customers at once, right? And so if you figure out how to f- solve those three primary issues in business, you dramatically reduce the risk. And it's, it's like a, it's like a, you know, a casino, I tell people. It's like, we don't want to play the casino game. We want to turn our business owners into the card counter at the blackjack table. We're just playing the same boring hand over and over again because we know that it wins. Right. So, you know, kind of don't mess with what works type thing. That's right. That's right. Okay. So being that you are obviously a CPA, um, so of the three, um, it was cash flow. Customers, cash flow, and team. Okay. So I'm assuming that you help people mostly with cash flow. No, we do all three. You do all three? We do all three, right? Because, you know, in, in reality... You, you can see like the customers and cash flow, they're very intrinsically tied, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know how to generate customers. And so if, you ju- if we're just simply going to tell them to adjust their pricing, if they don't know where to find the customers, then, you know, they're just kind of a slave to that customer who just wants to, you know, pay the lowest, you know, the lowest common denominator, right? Mm-hmm. And when you look at, you know, the science of actually generating customers, like most people think that advertising, it's a art form. And really, there's very specific math and metrics of what's going to work. You know, you can catch lightning on a bottle and you know, lightning in a bottle and, and um, you know, go viral on Facebook or Instagram or something like that. But that, that's not statistically likely to happen, right? It's like, you know, akin to winning the lottery, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's very proven methods for business owners to acquire customers, right? And so, you know, we, we write that down. I, I like it. You know, most marketers... Um, they're artists. <laughs> um, they're not. They're not scientists, right? And 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 so, you know, when we write business plans for business owners, I tell people it's like our business plan is like getting a set of drawings before building your house, right? Um, you know, with without a business plan like that, hiring marketers, it's a lot like hiring sub trades, asking them to come build your house, but not having a set of blueprints. It's very unlikely to go correctly. Mm-hmm. So. 
Yeah, it's so interesting too because as someone who has a small business of my own, I've, you know, in interacting with other entrepreneurs as well, a lot of people are kind of looking for that, you know, that one magical thing that's going to just completely transform their business and make it successful. And social media has really brought a different game to that, Mm -hmm. um, I guess, side of the side of the coin. And they're always looking to go viral or, you know, they want, you know, X amount of views on their YouTube video or their Instagram reel. But that's not necessarily going to make your business a success, right? When you're looking at, you could have a thousand followers on Instagram and all of them could be your ideal client or people that are going to purchase from you. Or you could have a million followers and none of them will purchase from you, right? Correct. Yeah. I tell people it's like they're scared of making a YouTube video and getting three views on it, right? But, you know, small business owners, they'll go and attend a networking event and they'll drive a couple hours across town to maybe have one conversation with one person, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Who might be a potential buyer. But, you know, you do a YouTube video and you might get three views, but that thing's going to get three views every single year forever. It's the same as having, you know, your hologram attend that networking event every single year in perpetuity mathematically, right? It's just a message in a bottle. You throw it out there and they just build and they snowball upon each other. So Yeah, it's like the definition of working smarter and not harder, right? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. So in terms of like what small businesses can do for cash flow, being that you are an accountant, I know everybody always wants to know about, you know, tax write-offs and things like that. So what are some things that small business owners can take advantage of in terms of those types of things? Well, I'm, I'm a little bit of a contrarian, right? And if you consume my content, you'll, you'll probably understand that is, is most people, they're just trying to extract blood from a stone. And they're all sitting around the table talking about the same deductions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you know structurally how a small business corporation works, you know, in Alberta, we, you know, we can pay 11% tax, which is very good, even for all the crazy tax we pay in Canada, even on a global scale, 11% is pretty darn good, right? Um, but structurally, in order to really build wealth, we have to have a base understanding of how the monetary system works. And it took me a while to actually realize it's that, you know, it might sound a little bit cynical, but... Really, as CPAs, we're, we're effectively experts in counting fake money. The money that we have, the government can just print it and keep printing it and keep printing it and it keeps debasing. And it doesn't really matter what you do. You're a CPA, you're a restaurant owner, you're a dentist, you lay floors, you're a lawyer. And the value of what we do every single day goes down in relation to the assets that we want to buy, right? And so business owners, they're all stuck around looking for one extra deduction. Can I write off one more meal? It's like... <laughs> Forget that. We got we got to flip the switch on that. And we got to figure out how true wealth is built because the income tax act is is really nothing more than a smokescreen for how actual wealth is really accumulated, right? You know, people think that you know inflation causes prices to rise. It's like you know it it causes prices to rise, but they don't rise evenly, right? Because if you know the money supply goes up, yeah, price of gas and energy goes up, right? But but rich people aren't going to get more money and suddenly buy 10 steaks for dinner. That's not how it works, right? And so when rich people get more money, they would love to own 10 houses. So there's a disproportionate amount of that new money that's going to flow um, into desirable asset classes. And we're talking about, you know, we're talking about gold, we're talking about stocks, we're talking about real estate. Um, and so 
people need to stop thinking about what's that one extra meal that I can write off and start thinking about what are the things that you can do where you pay 0% tax, right? And effectively, when you buy and hold quality assets, you know, as those assets go up in value, you don't pay any tax on them unless you sell. So the entire game is about trading your, you know, your time or your widget for this fake money and essentially exchanging it for desirable assets um, that go up in value. We can borrow against them and there's no tax whatsoever on them. Okay. Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective. Don't focus so much on writing off your next lunch, I guess. Yeah, it's not, it's not that you don't write these things off, yeah. right? But there's a law of diminishing returns on focusing that. And most people are, are, are just not even seeing it, right? Like they don't really understand. Let's take two people, you know, two people own restaurants. And one guy owns the best restaurant in town. It's great. It gets, you know, lots of, you know, lots of reviews, you know. He's, he's, he's featured on, you know, when you travel on Air Canada, they say the, the, the best restaurants in Canada, right? And you can read about it when you're on the plane. And another guy, he just, you know, he has a good restaurant. It's not great, but it's good. But he just opens multiple locations. And instead of renting those locations, he buys the locations that he's there, right? And so you have one guy who has the best restaurant in town and another guy who has 10 restaurants and he owns all the real estate which those restaurants operate out of. I think we, we really know, we run that scenario through our heads, even just intrinsically, who ends up with more money? You know, who has the bigger net wealth at the end of the day? It's the guy who owns the 10 good restaurants that owns all the real estate that the restaurants operate in. It's not the guy who owns the one restaurant that's the best in town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting perspective. And in terms of where we're at now, do you, being that we're hopefully on the other side of the pandemic, um, do you notice anything or hear business owners, you know, talking about certain things in specific, or are there any kind of like new concerns um, coming out of the COVID pandemic? Yeah, well, well, it's still always customers, cash flow, and team. But the biggest one I think that's come out of the pandemic is we see major pricing issues, right? Mm-hmm. Because businesses, you know, historically, they're, they're usually chasing their pricing a little bit, right? You know, they might be, you know, I'll call it, five percent behind on their pricing right and we're, we're trying to you know we got it it's time for a pricing increase here right but what happened with you know the inflation being you know run up so high right and and people you know tend to think that the the cpi number is the real inflation but the cpi number is really just a you know it's a government manipulated number they really. it's a basket of goods and services but the problem is that basket doesn't stay the same every single year right you know one year they have you know ground beef in the back you know they have a prime rib in the basket and the next year they swap it out for ground beef and tell you try to tell you the basket's the same cost it's not how it works but when you look at the actual rate of inflation like now everybody feels how high it is it's been high for you know you know really for 50 years since 1971 really you know where inflation kind of is the inflection point of of the whole thing but at this point because inflation ran up so high so quickly most business owners it's it's almost like they went into a coma for 10 years and they woke up and they don't understand the pricing in their own industry right you know we used to get you know for our construction clients they would get annual price lists from suppliers it's like never mind, we can't even get monthly price lists. We don't even know what the price is tomorrow on it, right? And so business owners who've been operating in their business for years, literally they're completely disconnected from the pricing in their own industry right now. Do you think it's because they can't can't understand how things can, how they can increase their prices so much? Or do you think they worry that 
you know, if they increase at the rate of, of everything else increasing, that they're going to lose out on those customers or and then therefore that cash flow. Do you think they worry that people will stop purchasing from them? Yeah, they're, they're tied, right? And so usually, you know, people in industries, they're tied to like very industry specific metrics. They're tied mm-hmm. to like a, you know, if they're a flooring guy, they're tied to a per square foot price and they, they feel comfortable with that per square foot price, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, they don't know understand that they have to calculate their labor, the, the burden on that labor, their new supply costs, which changes every single day now, right? They mm-hmm. can't go off of any historical square foot price. And then they have to understand how to calculate an actual reasonable margin on that, right? And yeah, they if they don't know how to acquire new customers, they become a slave to those same customers, right? And really, the businesses that don't know how to acquire uh, new customers, usually the only customers they have are customers that are seeking them out specifically because they think they can exploit them, right? Um, th- there's a certain type of customer mm-hmm. that the ones that they find you, if you're not doing any advertising, they look specifically for you because they think that you don't know how to find customers and they think that they can tell you to work for free. Yeah. Those are the worst types of customers. Yeah. Um, yeah it's like, I'm in this to make money, not to lose it. 100%, yeah. <laughs> okay, so getting back to like coming out of the pandemic, for the businesses that were kind of hit hard, maybe they were struggling, you know, even before COVID and they managed to make it through or they've had to pivot. How can they get back on track with things now that we've kind of are hopefully settled into our new normal? Well, I, I mean, they have to readjust their pricing. So they really have to understand what's their actual labor cost. Um, they need to understand how to get up-to-date supply costs, and they need a mechanism that they can change that pricing on the fly. Okay, so like gone are the days where we can set the pricing for the year and hope that that works out, right? You know, we see what like it's not just the prices going up; it's just wild fluctuations in those pricing. Mm-hmm. So they need to get a handle on that now, right? And so if they're doing estimates, quotes, you know setting any, even if it's a bricks and mortar business, right? They need to have a mechanism that they can do more dynamic pricing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because if, if they don't, they're going to figure out at year end and it might be too late. Mm-hmm. I think, I know one thing that I worry about specifically, not even like with my business, just in life in general, is that it seems that once things go up, they never go back down. Do you think that's, you know, I know that's something other people worry about, but do you think that's a possibility? Yeah, generally that's the case. It's not coming back down. I mean, you saw a little bit of like reprieve in like lumber prices yeah. uh, recently, but for, for the most part, the government's not really going to contract the money supply a meaningful amount, right? If you, if you just, you know, for the average business owner that doesn't really understand the monetary system, just you know, just Google M2 money supply, right? And, and do a chart and extend that chart out for the maximum, you know, 25, 50 years, right? Right? And you just look at this exponential curve and the money supply going up and you look at what they call quantitative tightening happening right now. And it's a little tiny bump down, right? You know, mm. it's, 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 it's not, you know, we're not going to get any sort of significant deflation, you know, um, over the long term, right? Even if something happened and they overcorrected, you got a little bit of deflation, they're immediately going to fire up the money printers again. And it's like prices are going to continue to go up. Um, and that rate's accelerating. Mm-hmm. Like, at a, at a at a very significant rate, right? So you know we're 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 living through a you know people 
you know, they don't really understand we're living through a, a long-term cycle, right? And, you know, we essentially went down this path starting in 1971 when the U.S. got off the gold standard. And, uh, you know, we have these fiat floating currencies and the rate of, you know, the increase of the money supply is is increasing, right? And so there's there's really no expectation that that's going to slow down. It'll probably just speed up. You know, uh, Ray Dalio does a very good job of explaining it. If you if you wanted to watch something uh, from him, where he talks about the you know the long term cycles, and and this is not new. You know, it happens you know, roughly every hundred years where there's a shift in currencies, and 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 you know, uh, it's it's one thing where our parents actually didn't live through that. But we probably will statistically, right? Because the world's reserve currencies tend to last, you know, about 105 years, give or take, right? And so there's very little indication that, you know, the U.S. dollar is going to be the world's reserve currency, you know, by the time we retire, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much uncertainty. I think that's hard also to wrap our heads around, <laughs> you know, what could be the possibility of the future. I do want to shift the conversation a little bit back to marketing because I know that's big with getting customers and and then in turn increasing your cash flow. Mm-hmm. Um, and in our initial conversation before the podcast, you had kind of mentioned that you set aside time in your week to create marketing content. And um, in many of your videos, you also speak about how many small business owners underestimate the importance of marketing, um, or they simply just don't spend enough time on it. So I have a couple questions um, in regards to that. But the first one is, why do you think it is? Like, why do you think people don't spend enough time on marketing? There seems to be this this one myth, and we talk about it in the book, that the best businesses don't market Right. Oh. It's, it's, you know, it's, mm. it, it, it's, it's funny. Go to, you know, like the, a trade fair, like, you know, in Alberta, you go to like the Edmonton Home and Garden Show or something. Right. And you'll, you'll literally see a banner saying, you know, a business built on word of mouth referrals, but it's sitting there at their, at their booth that cost them $5,000, you know, and they got trucks outside. All of them are auto wrapped for $3,000. And it's just, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's so hypocritical. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's comical, right? <laughs> Where the biggest and best companies in the world are the biggest and best because they spend the most on marketing. Um, when you look at the ratios of the biggest companies, they're spending a higher proportion of their revenue on marketing, right? And then you, you know, you, you you get some of these contrarians. Sometimes you look at like, oh, look at look at Tesla. Uh, they don't spend any money on marketing. It's like, well, e- Elon's just playing the game at a different uh, at a different level. I mean, the guy just went out and bought Twitter, yeah. you know, for how many billions <laughs> of dollars, right? He'll he'll just go and get a fine from the Security and Exchange Commission, and it's like he, he's not an idiot, right? That's mm-hmm. just his marketing, the way he's spending it, right? Mm-hmm. A regular, you know, people like us, maybe we have to do some, you know, some videos and buy some Google ads, right? But yeah. um, you know, the fact that if you think you're you know, you're you're not going to market and build your business. It's like trying to win a, you know, a boxing match with one hand tied behind your back. Mm-hmm. So I know for you specifically, you do spend a lot of time creating content like for your YouTube channel and on social media as well. Yeah. Um, is that where you would kind of recommend somebody start if they were kind of unfamiliar when it comes to marketing? I think the best place that you can actually start would be long form video. Because mm-hmm. um, long form video content is like the Swiss Army knife in marketing, right? And you could just think about um, just at a really low level, you, you're just answering questions that you field in your business, anyways, right? Just think about the questions that customers of your business ask you mm-hmm. and just start there, right? 10 to 15 minute videos. And, and like I said before, it's like if that video gets three views, it's like, 
if it gets three views from your ideal and likely buyer, that's better than ten thousand views of people. You know, you could you know if you want to make get a, get a bunch of views, like you know, make videos on on slime or blowing stuff up or something like that, right? But it's like that's not your ideal and likely buyer, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you if you start out with that long form video, you can do so much with that long form video. You know, you can essentially. You can take that long form video and they can become blog articles on your website. You can clip them up and you can make shorter posts on your social media. A lot of people are starting in the wrong direction. You know, they're starting on Instagram and they're trying to make a, you know, a small short clip, right, on Instagram or TikTok. And you look at the people who are the most successful in the world at this. They all start with what's called, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk calls it the the pillar content strategy, right? Mm -hmm. And they start with a long form video and every other piece of content branches off from that. You know, mm-hmm. if you have good long form video, you can pay someone else to repurpose that long form content. But you you can't pay someone to make a short video longer. True. You know, you're the subject matter expert. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. It goes back to kind of repurposing that content and working smarter, not harder. So you I know that you also like as you mentioned kind of block out that time. So how would you suggest that somebody blocks their time out during the week? Like, do you have categories that you kind of focus on when you do that, like marketing, um, content creation, things like that? Yeah, great question. So you got a couple of, uh, like, time blocking is, I, I, I just believe, you know, what gets scheduled gets done, right? Mm-hmm. And people think that, oh, I'll do it someday. I'll do it on a Saturday. It's like, no, no, no. If it's not on your calendar, you're not going to do it, Right. Um, and if you look at successful entrepreneurs, like they know what they're doing in advance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they can tell you when exactly they're doing their, uh, you know, their content. And your content, your, your calendar is essentially going to have, you're going to have time for the administration of your business. You're going to have time for the marketing of your business. You're going to have time for sales and you're going to have time for the actual like delivery of product or service. And then you're going to have time for human resources, and, mm-hmm. and those are the categories that you're going to have in your calendar. And if you don't have those categories in your calendar, like you're actually not going to finish, right? Mm-hmm. And people don't realize like wh- how significant that time for marketing should be in your calendar, right? Uh, because if not, you end up just dealing with the same difficult customers over and over again. And we can tell you what the price should be. But if the phone's not ringing, you know, I, I tell people, it's like, well, if, if if more than fifty percent of your prospective buyers are saying yes, it's 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 not because you're that great. It's likely because your prices are too low, mm. <laughs> and you're just buying the you're just buying the work, right? And they're mm-hmm. they're not profitable. And that's normally what the numbers will say on the back end. So, mm-hmm. you know, having that time blocked out for marketing, where you want to be the company where you only have a certain set demand, and you're not actually trying to increase your productivity your output based on the demand. It's like you want to set, you know, how much can you reasonably produce in a reasonable high quality and you want to sell it out. That's what you want to do, right? Mm-hmm. And so your 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 marketing should be generating enough leads that in your slow time, you're still sold out, right? It's like the, the mortgage broker, right? And they want to turn leads on, you know, they want to start doing some marketing uh, or a real estate agent, they want to start doing some marketing in the winter, and nobody wants to move. I'm like, <laughs> and they're worried like, well, in the summer, too many calls are going to happen. That, that's how marketing works, actually. Like effective marketing, it's not linear. It won't follow your capacity, right? Mm-hmm. There's going to be times where you're more than sold out. But if you're not still marketing in those times, what's going to happen in the slow times, you're going to overcorrect in the other direction. And usually the single biggest cost that any business has is you know that lost revenue in the slow months for lack of demand, right? It's usually way bigger than any other cost item they actually have in their business. It's just that lost revenue. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what would you say? So I know that this is probably a common excuse. You know, I don't have time to create a YouTube video or I don't have time yeah. to record that or I don't know how to edit it. What would you say to somebody who's who's pulling out all those excuses? You know, the, these are the excuses that we're taught, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're you know, brought up with like this employee mindset and we're suddenly going to work 40 hours a week. But, you know, there, there's actual, you know, mathematical stats on you know, people from Harvard University following around successful entrepreneurs and CEOs. And in general, they're going to work 60 plus hours and work six days a week. And, mm-hmm. and that's how it works, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, people love to say, you know, work smarter, but harder. It's like, yeah, but you got to do both because mm-hmm. in your industry, in every industry, there's always someone who's working smarter and harder, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, one of the things I did is, is, is it's, it's kind of, might be a little bit, uh, might be a little bit funny, but like uh, we have a, a a truck for the business, and it's a it's a it's a big, you know, giant, ridiculous Ford Raptor, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the construction guys are like, oh, I'd love to get a Ford Raptor. And I was like, yeah, don't look at the Ford Raptor. Look what's on the hood of my Raptor. And on the hood, we have it, and it says 5 a.m. right on the hood of the Raptor. Mm. And most people don't want to hear that. It's the uncomfortable truth, right? They mm-hmm. think that they're just going to work smarter, and that's what's going to happen, but. You know, there's always someone who's just as smart of you as not smarter, and they're also working hard too, mm-hmm. right? And so it really just comes down to there, there's work-life trade-offs. Mm-hmm. And if you got into business because you think you know, you're you going to have work-life balance, that, that, <laughs> that was the wrong reason to get into business, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people do that too. It's like their boss, you know, wouldn't give them an extra day off or a vacation or something like that. And then they decided they're going to start their own business. It's like, you, you know, you got two full-time jobs now. You're running this business and you're also working on the business too. So. Mm-hmm. That's what it's going to be. It's like, you know, you're going to work 60 to 80 hours a week. You get to choose when they are, but you better be specific on the calendar about them and get them scheduled and get them done. Yeah, I see a lot about that too. And, you know, people wanted more time for themselves, more flexibility. So then they, yeah, started a business and now they work 24 7. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Okay. So um, just to kind of wrap things up here, what advice would you give to somebody who has a business idea and they really want to move forward with it, but they just don't know where to start? Yeah. Get your absolute minimal viable product that's going to, you know, what's the least amount of money that you can get together to, you know, to actually sell something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you think about the uh, the restaurant owner and they want to open a, you know, a steakhouse and it's a million dollar bill. It's like, Okay, just try to cater 10 events from your kitchen first, right? Mm -hmm. Sell 10 things to 10 real customers that's somewhat related to what you eventually want to do. Because if, if, you know, if you, if you can't start there, you might not ever finish. And a lot of people, they're already, you know, I I see them, they're, they're reaching out for a consult, worried about their succession plan and passing the business that has never sold anything down (laughs) to their grandkids at this point, right? It's like, just sell 10 things to 10 real people that someone's related to it. Mm -hmm. Start there. That's the first place to start, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good start. And I mean, that'll be really telling in terms of how overwhelmed you are with just doing that and whether or not you want to continue on with the next step. You got it. You're going to love it or you're going to hate that experience. And if you hate that experience, it's like, maybe that's not the right place running a business. It's it's not right for everyone. Right. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make, you know, some people better than others. It's just, you know, if the business doesn't add to your life, right. And we talked about that schedule. It's like, you know, usually when you start in a business, it's like a lot of people, they want to start a business based on, you know, they heard this industry is going to boom. It's like, and you're, you're going to work in this thing for years, right? And most of the value on a business, it's like usually coming on after 10 years in this thing, right? And so there's going to be a long period of time where you're probably going to make less than an employee in that industry 
would make, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to, you know, especially on a per hour basis, right? Mm-hmm. So um, people have to understand it's like, do they actually love doing it? You know, it tends to be like your first business. Um, your second, third business, you can maybe think a little more strategic, but your first business is like, if it's not something that you might not consider doing for free, at least in your spare time a little bit, it's like, mm-hmm. you might want to give some pause there because it it's really difficult. Yeah. Do you ever, I'm a big believer in that too, that you should really love whatever you decide to start a business in. Do you ever see people succeed doing things that they really hate? Usually it's not their first business. Okay. So usually it's not their first business, right? Uh, one of my uh, one of my mentors, he, he has a, um, you know, he, he built uh, one of the largest DJ businesses in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And he loved being a DJ. It was his thing, right? Uh, but then eventually he 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 built a dog training business after that. And he asked him, he's like, he's like he hates dogs. He doesn't <laughs> like dogs, doesn't own a dog, right? Never wants to own a dog, right? Um, but he also built a, you know, a series of hair salons too. And, and you realize in the hair salons that, you know, these are the, these high end, like kind of like Tommy gun type, you know, men's hair salons type yeah. thing that it was really hard to do the search engine optimization. You were competing with the cut sixes of the world, right? But then you mm-hmm. looked at the the local dog trainers and like, they're all terrible at marketing, right? Mm-hmm. They're all really brutal at marketing. But, you know, would you have actually gone through that, you know, I call it like walking over broken glass. Would you have got to, you know, would you have walked through that broken glass to do dog training if you hated dog training, right? Mm-hmm. For two years, five years, 10 years before you figured it out? Probably not, I don't think, right? And so I would really, you know, almost discourage people from, if this is your first business, uh, you know, uh, it, it should be uh, something that you enjoy doing, right? Mm-hmm. If it's your second or third, you know what you're getting into. It's no problem, yeah. right? But Yeah. Yeah, you have to have, there has to be some incentive to get you through all of that, you know, pain and hard work. You know, you have to end up loving it at the end of the day and exactly. have it fulfill you. Okay. And what are some of your favorite resources for small business owners? Any books, podcasts, uh, YouTube channels, or anything like that that you can recommend? Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, probably my, my favorite book uh, of all time is Michael Gerber's E-Myth. Like, I think mm. it's one of the best books. Like, someone gave it to me once, right? And it was, it was probably the you know, single thing. It might have changed my life, actually. That guy gave me that book that oh, day. Yeah. So, um, that was, uh, you know, I, I think I would start there in terms of like resources. Like, I mean, our firm puts on a, a boot camp every single quarter. Mm-hmm. We we almost give the tickets away for a hundred bucks just to see if people are, are going to show up if they're serious, right? But it's, mm-hmm. it's it's one of those things for that person who's thinking about the business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because surprisingly enough, there's, there's a lot more people who want to pay us then people are willing to do the work, right? Mm-hmm. We put that business plan together for people, but you know yeah. we're not entirely sure if they're going to follow it, especially right. when they figure out that, hey, this does take 60 plus hours a week, right? Yeah. You know, unless you're starting with a bunch of capital where you can pay other people. And I would suggest even if startup business had that capital, they don't know how to deploy it qu- correctly. So mm-hmm. it just allows them to make bigger mistakes usually. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you know, we do that boot camp, for example, you know, usually every three months in COVID, we got a little off our, our schedule just because of the, it's an in-person event. But, you know, we started at 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. That's not because I think the most people will show up at 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning. That's because I know if they can't show up at 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning, I can't help them anyways. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that's so true. You're not getting paid to do the work for them. They have to follow the plan that that is given. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, they start these businesses, you got to have a unique idea, but we don't have to reinvent the whole wheel, right? Yeah. 
Um, you got something a little bit special the way you do it, but you, you don't have to run every piece of marketing. You don't have to run your your accounting data file. You don't have to do HR. If you try to come up with a unique idea in each one of those areas, the chance of success just goes down dramatically. Mm-hmm. Right? Just find what the one unique thing that you do and then supplement it with proven tactics around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Awesome. Well, I think those are some really great resources for small business owners. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. I really hope that this information does help a small business owner or encourages an aspiring entrepreneur to pursue their business idea. If someone were wanting to get in touch with you, what is the best way to do that following this podcast? Uh, probably the, the best way is, is go ahead and, and sign up for our uh, sign up for our boot camp, right? You know, in terms of our our demand, like we usually have a, uh, a wait list on our uh, for our initial consults, and so we really prioritize working with the business owners that have actually graduated from the boot camp. We call it right. Oh, okay. Once they've come to that, uh, so you can go onto our website, you know, spurl.ca/business-bootcamp. Even if you just type in business bootcamp if you're anywhere in Canada. It's probably going to show up on mm-hmm. the first page of Google and we'll teach you how to do that. Yeah, that's bootcamp. good. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, yeah, buy a ticket there and we, we'd love to see you out there. So Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Josh. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Straight from the CPA's Mouth. This episode featured Josh Spurl, CPA, author, and founder of Spurl & Associates Chartered Professional Accountants. If you like what you're hearing, have ideas for future episodes, or have any feedback you'd like to share, please email us at knowledgecenter at cpaalberta.ca or leave us a comment on social media. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Straight from the CPA's Mouth is produced by the CPA Education Foundation, the charitable arm of the CPA profession in Alberta. This podcast is made possible by Brian Heshey, FCPA FCA. Thanks to Brian's generous donation, the foundation created the Heshi CPA Knowledge Center, a virtual hub of resources for all Albertans. Find out more about the foundation and the Knowledge Center at cpaalberta.ca slash foundation.